If you're able, I invite you to rise in body or in spirit as you are able. As I read this morning's scripture lesson from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, these opening words of Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. Paul, called to be an apostle of God, apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, rather, and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that has been given you in Christ Jesus. For in every way you have been enriched in him in speech and knowledge of every kind, just as the testimony of Christ has been strengthened among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will strengthen you to the end so that you may be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. By him you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Here is the reading. May God grant us wisdom and courage for understanding. Amen. About 146 BCE, when the Roman army captured the city of Corinth, they destroyed most of the major buildings, and they either executed or enslaved a large portion of the uh, residents of Corinth. And so 100 years later uh, than that, Julius Caesar refounded Corinth as a Roman colony. And many citizens at the time Paul wrote this letter to the Christians at Corinth were either former slaves or descendants of former slaves. Other citizens that had some means or wealth had migrated into the area because they could use the opportunity with the reestablishment of the city to gain a foothold in the local economy and, well, build more wealth. And so many of its citizens at this time of the uh, were quite competitive with one another as they grabbed and raked and clawed their way towards upward mobility, I guess you could say. And so even though, like us, these Corinthians were made, like all people, in the image of God, they were part of a money and power-driven society which well, how should we say, stoked their competitive nature a bit from time to time. And tragically, this spirit of competition seemed to be creeping into the church and how they treated one another within the beloved community that Paul had helped establish. But Paul says something in this opening letter that was, I think, purposefully designed to jar them into remembering how wonderfully and beautifully and useful they were to have been designed to live out God's purposes. He says these words, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, he writes, and listen, called to be saints together. 
called to be saints together. Now, on one hand, their own human experiences, the negative ones at least, I'm sure were in front of them, like many of us, and they were reminded always of their failures and their flaws. But Paul is reminding them that they are also called to be saints. God made them in God's own image and was calling them to their better angels, you might say. Sometimes in life, God blesses us with people who believe in us more than we believe in ourselves. I'm so grateful for those people in my life. I know if you think about it, you can probably think of someone who has believed in you more than you've believed in yourself from time to time. What a gift. But now, in our own society, being just a couple hundred years old, you know, and what we, this nation we call the United States, we actually don't have to really reach that far to see some of the similarities with where we are as a nation and where Corinth was as a city at that point in their history. Because we know that the dog-eat-dog struggle for upward mobility, that spirit of competition, is alive and well in our own society. And yes, we get so used to it, sometimes it even creeps its way into the church. In fact, many times... The church, not just New Covenant Christian Church, but the church with a capital C, has not called out greed and power-drivenness. Uh, and after all, you know, it takes money to operate a church. It takes money to, op- to manage buildings and ministries and pay for and support staff. And, and uh, these things are required to function. But let's be honest, it's not hard to get carried away sometimes. Just give us five minutes in almost any setting in our culture and we can start competing for something. A new elementary classroom, uh, you know, even if it's a fresh start to a new year, give those kids five minutes, they'll be competing for something. Or a corporate meeting or a church board meeting. We'll figure out how to form a pecking order because that's how things out there work. And we forget that's not how they're supposed to work in the church. So like the Corinthians, we know at least when we're thinking clearly that we are beloved children of God, created in God's own image, called to mutuality, equality, respect, ultimately called to unity within the life of the church. But also the truth is, our reality is that just as the Corinthians didn't always get it right, neither do we. And so this creates a major identity crisis that so often goes unnamed, unaddressed. In fact, me even in mentioning it right now, some of you are starting to squirm. What's the deal? We, like the Corinthians and all human beings, were fearfully and wonderfully made in God's image. We were pronounced good. But we let our shortcomings, our struggles, our mistakes, our sins convince us that we just might be hopelessly flawed. And if you can believe it, knowing what I know about church history and theology, I think we today may even have more negative baggage to overcome 
and looking at ourselves with a God's eye perspective than the Corinthians did all those years ago. Because someone like Augustine of Hippo, also known as St. Augustine later, about 400 years after the time of Christ, came along and came up with a doctrine that's not all bad. In fact, a lot of it's accurate. Uh, He called it a doctrine of original sin. And so, uh, basically, this doctrine said that all human beings are born inherently sinful now. We are born in sin. We're destined to struggle with sin our entire lives. And I don't entirely blame Augustine for how Christians have run in different and extreme directions sometimes with his ideas about the nature of human beings and sin and all, because, you know, that's what we do. We apply things differently. We understand things differently. And sometimes if we get carried away, these ideas can be harmful, even go beyond what the original thinker, Augustine in this case, himself had to say about human nature. So so like we have on so many different topics, and we still do, human beings went into our comfort zone of what I call and that's not my idea, dualistic thinking. In other words, if one thing is true, something else can't be true at the same time. It's either or. And so when we heard about Augustine's ideas, here's what I mean. We assume that if we're inherently sinful, that somehow we don't at the same time also have God's original blessing and image stamped upon our lives when the reality is, the answer is yes to both. We are both created in God's image and we struggle. We always have the choice, however, because we're created in God's image to choose good or to choose evil. At least that's what, that's what I think is a faithful rendering of the scripture. People have different ideas on the mixture of all of this, but the truth is we human beings have the ability to sin as well as to reflect the glory of God, the image of God available to us at any given moment. It's not an either-or thing. It's a both-and thing. We have the ability to choose right and wrong, good and bad, sinfulness and wholeness. And so we do nothing to help our condition, however. Here's my philosophy. When we only emphasize the sinful, flawed aspects of the human condition. In fact, I guess if I were to go through and make a tally, there's no way to do it because I, re- I don't remember what I preached last week. But if I were to go through a paradigm of all the sermons I'd ever heard in my whole life, not just those that I've shared, but I would guarantee you that I've heard more about how sinful and how flawed we are than how wonderfully created we are. How beautiful in God's image We were always intended and still are. When we reflect it, it's a beautiful thing. And so the church at Corinth, they had a difficult enough time remembering who they really were because of their human experience, because of this struggle that we have. And then Augustine came along and people interpreted his work in different ways. And I think for 1,600 years, we've tended to have a darker view of humanity, maybe than what our spiritual ancestors prior to that time had. But as you look and you reflect on the actual words of Jesus in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you know, Jesus and the earliest Christians, uh, they knew nothing of any doctrine of original sin. They got along fine for 400 years without naming it that anyway. 
If it were supposed to be a big deal to Jesus, I suppose we would have heard about it in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus would have stood there and said, hey, now pipe down, everybody. Let me offer you a theological treatise on how poorly God made all of you. But he didn't say that. And, and so it's not in the teachings of Jesus, and the church did pretty well for 400 years. Instead, what Jesus did, he met people in sin and brokenness, yes, but then he appealed to the image of God within each and every person as the starting point for positive transformation, even when he found them in a floundering, broken mess of their own doing. And so if we are created in God's own image, why is this not emphasized more? In sermons, in Sunday school lessons, more than our ability to choose to hopelessly flounder in brokenness and sin. We do fail, that's the truth. I mean, we all know that. We do sin, we do make terrible choices sometimes. But this is the exception. This is not plan A. It's the exception. It's not necessary to further go beyond and to denigrate the image of God in any one person in order to also say that we need grace when it comes down to it. It is not necessary to belittle God's beloveds in order for us to admit that we always need to stay reconciled and in good relationship with God. We can humble ourselves. We can repent of our sins and should and repent when we catch ourselves in wrongdoing and ask for God's forgiveness, all those things. But we should do it without forgetting it was God who placed God's goodness at the very core of our being and will never take it away. No matter what Adam and Eve did, no matter what any of us do, God created us and pronounced us good. And we are also prone to selfish, short-sighted, stupid, sinful choices. Both at the same time. Can you do this? I mean, it's hard. I can't even demonstrate it for you. But you get what I'm saying? Both can, be, both can happen with a little practice. And those of us who are parents or who have had parents or who are grandparents, have had grandparents, what if those loving uh, adult figures in our lives only harped on every time we talked with them of how dirty and rotten and helpless and hopeless we were? That would create a very difficult set of attitudes to overcome, wouldn't it? So it is in the life of the church sometimes. We have used one narrative instead of both. I think Paul knew something about this struggle, and that's why he said in the very opening verses in his salutation to his letter to the Corinthians, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together. It was so easy for them, just as it is for us, to get caught up in the race for upper mobility, the daily grind, the dog-eat-dog -dog competitive world we live in, that we feel some shame for it, and we forget who we really are and who we've been called to be. Saints! But here's the thing. Did you catch the rest of it in the beloved community? None of us are saints alone. We are only saints Together. Together. Paul is simply reminding the Corinthians, and by the way, those of us who are snooping their mail centuries later, who and whose we are. 
that we are, regardless of our imperfections, regardless of our inconsistencies, regardless of our wrongdoings and sins, we are saints together. Paul is simply saying what God has always said about us from the very beginning. A detour, by the way, out of the Garden of Eden hasn't changed God's original blessing for any of us. The story of Adam and Eve giving in to temptation simply proved what we already know, that each day we must choose between good and evil. Evil makes it seems so easy, yet it makes life so much harder. And good sometimes might seem so much harder to choose, but we know that when we do, we are really being who we were wired to be in the first place. Good. God pronounced us good. So the Corinthians had gotten a little selfish and they probably had let the competitive money-making status and power-seeking attitudes of their society work down and trickle into the church. But Paul and, and God through Paul wanted them to know this did not change who they were. They were saints. Hear now the good news. If you're within the sound of my voice, no matter how your life has gone, no matter how your life is going, no matter how you've behaved in the past or you might be behaving a few minutes before you got here today, no matter who you've done wrong, no matter how you've behaved, it does not wash God's beautiful image off of you. You're beloved. You may not feel like a saint now because... The contrary to what the systems of the world are by power and driven by power and profit teach, no one is ever a saint alone. But when we get together, we can recognize our calling as saints. It happens in community. And Paul is reminding them that inside the beloved community of God, the rules we live by, the ways we treat one another, even the ways we see ourselves are different. They are different. The church is a beloved community of equals. Christ is our head. We together are the body. We together are the saints of God. But notice, it's not just a special designation the way Paul uses it here just for the Christians at Corinth. They are called to be saints together, but not alone. Also, he says, with all those who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a high and holy calling, but it's also a universal calling for anyone who follows the way of Jesus. So guess what? You're called to be a saint. Not all on your own, but as part of the community. The church down the road who obviously doesn't have their theology as well thought out as ours, I guess that means they're saints too. That is who we are as people who follow Jesus. A community of saints. We don't always get it right, but that's who we were created to be together. That is who God says we are. And it's my privilege to remind you, dear saints of God, you do not always have to get everything right in order to be a saint. It doesn't hurt to be committed to community, though. A community where we play by different rules. A beloved community of equals. Our calling as saints together is creating a community where competition with one another and jockeying for position among ourselves is not what drives us, but unconditional love is what drives us. That's the goal. And as verse 9 says, we are called to the fellowship of God's Son. It's the Jesus way. The rules are different. The goals are different. The way we treat one another is different. We're not called to compete 
We're called to be one another's best cheerleaders. And we're here to help one another when we stumble rather than crossing our arms or pointing our finger in judgment or reinforcing all the negativity we always tell ourselves about ourselves. This more excellent way doesn't remind, it doesn't belong just to us. There are other saints. There are other branches of the Jesus family tree. There are other perfectly imperfect saints to whom we are inseparably also connected, like it or not. But together, we're a movement for love. Together we're a movement for justice, which by the way, as Cornell West says, justice is just what love looks like in public. Dear saints of God at New Covenant, you give God reason to smile. It's so easy to lose sight of who we are of who God says we are and who we're called to be as saints together. For here in Jesus' name, each and every Sunday, we roll out a banquet table. This is incredible. Do you realize this table right here between us? The fact that this is an open table that we say all are welcome just as God has welcomed us, that's incredible. Where else can you find that in this dog-eat-dog world? You make that happen. By sharing your gifts, your grace. And we do it each and every single week. Also, each and every single week, we receive clothing, not just from our own members, but from Disciples of Christ congregations from all over Oklahoma. And it's sorted, and it's organized, and it's eventually transported to be given to the nearly 1,000 Afghan families who have been resettled in Oklahoma because it's not safe to live in their home and native land. That's incredible. Where else does this happen? Every Thursday, about 25 to 30 families drive up and receive one or two sacks of groceries that this congregation so lovingly provides. Dozens of young people are cooked and served breakfast now every Wednesday morning before school, and they might not otherwise have it, and the community is being built there and has been for years in your faithful work. On Tuesdays, Mobile Meals Ministry meets here, cooks a meal, and delivers it all over the city of Oklahoma City to seniors who need extra love and support. We have dozens of volunteers who lead dozens of children and youth in activities that nurture and teach them about who God says they are, both on Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings. And we have incredible staff, just like Pastor Eula, who has a group of teenagers as we speak in Tulsa for a retreat to learn about the Tulsa Race Massacre and how we as people of faith should be helping to create a world where those kinds of tragedies and equalities never happen again. I'm not sure you knew it. I'm not sure you felt like it when you woke up. I'm not sure you believe me yet when I've said it earlier. But I hope you're listening. And I hope you believe me when I say it to you again. Do you know who you are? Do you know who you've been called to be and created as? The saints of God together. It's a shared calling. It's a holy calling. It's certainly not a perfect science. It's much more like a messy art. And that's probably why sometimes we get a little down on ourselves. And it's probably sometimes why those outside the church can be quick to criticize those in the church and say, I wouldn't dare go down there. Just look at all those hypocrites. But friends, the church is many things. But it's also 
a community where hypocrites come to practice being more authentic and real and more like the saints we were created to be. It's a practice. It's a community. The Apostle Paul knew good and well the Corinthian church wasn't perfect. He was quite frustrated with them, which, by the way, we'll discuss more next Sunday. On this Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. weekend, I find the following statement to really echo what I think Paul was trying to remind the Christians at Corinth about. Listen to this uh, MLK quote about the church. He said, certainly the church is not perfect. In fact, it has often stood in the way of social and scientific progress. Honestly, I'm often ashamed of the church, Dr. King said, but in spite of its errors, I would hate to see what the world would be like without the church. Friends, we don't always get it right, not even here at New Covenant, but despite our flaws, we are who God says we are, and so we are saints together. Imperfect, but saints The world and even the church along the way have often forgotten who we were called to be, but that is who we are. That's who we were created to be. It's a high and holy calling, but thankfully, we don't do it alone. We do it with one another because this calling is a shared calling, and we're called to be saints together. Thanks be to God. The words of God for the saints of God. Amen.